0: The scripture today is from Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, God is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because they love me, says the Lord, I will rescue them. I will protect them, for they acknowledge my name. They will call on me and I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will deliver them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. This so is the word of the Lord.
1: You know, it's ironic. Uh, I am probably the worst teaching team member because I, I am so busy right now. I don't have time to engage. And so if I had known that the parable we were going to do today was about the lost things, I would have just done that. The good news is, uh, well, because it's one of my favorite parables, right? The, the lost. Stuff and the search for the lost stuff because those things are inherently valuable, but uh, we're going to talk about the leper instead. And a lot of what I can so if you're really down with the lectionary and Lenten readings, just just supplant the scripture readings because they they apply, they'll work. Okay. Um, I also want to take just a second uh, to wish um, Danny a happy birthday. Today is Danny's birthday. Uh, Danny has been a long time member, longer than I've been here, and faithfully serves with his treasure and his talents and his time and, and, and all that. Huh? Everybody always leaves Facebook for friends. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, if it's, if you're a friend of mine and I forget your face, your uh, birthday, it's because I didn't look at Facebook. It's the only way I can remember anybody's birthdays anymore. But anyway, happy birthday, Danny. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, they asked if uh, somebody could jump in. I had a little bit of capacity, so I thought, anybody who does speaking on a regular basis kind of has what we call these back-pocket sermons or back-pocket pocket talks, where you can just, it's one you give all the time, and you're kind of familiar with it, so you don't have to do a lot of work. Um, so I've chosen this topic today, which is looking at the intersections of homartiology, pneumatology, and substitutionary atonement, which is a brief study in soteriology. So we're going to, just some light fare, we're going to jump right into this, all right? So um, go ahead and go to the next slide there. <laughs> I really? I'm good, I'm not that good, all right? Actually, we're going we're gonna to look at a passage out of Mark, out of the first chapter of Mark today, about the leper that Jesus healed. Um, I love that we sang the song, too, today that said that Jesus makes all things new, um, so just follow me uh, in, in the scripture here. I'm going to read through this, and then I'm going to open it up uh, for just some observations coming from you. So the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. A leper came to him, begging on his knees. This is from the message. Begging on his knees, if you want to, you can cleanse me. And deeply moved, Jesus put out his hand, touched him, and said, I want to, Be clean. Then and there the leprosy was gone, and his skin smooth and healthy. Jesus dismissed him with strict orders, saying, Say nothing to anyone. Take the offering for cleansing that Moses prescribed, and present yourself to the priest. This will validate your healing to the people. But as soon as the man was out of earshot, he told everyone he met what had happened, spreading the news all over town. So Jesus kept to out-of-the-way places, no longer able to move freely in and out of the city. But people found him and came from all over. I love that passage. There's so much in it. Uh, It's loaded with meaning and power and emotion. So let me just ask you, what jumped out to you? What did you notice? What spoke to you in this passage? All right, so this is a brief passage. Again, it's filled with power and emotion, uh, loaded with meaning. Now, Jesus obviously heals the leper, probably one of many throughout all of Israel. And leprosy was a very common illness during the time that Jesus lived. But due to a lack of science and medical knowledge, very little was actually known about the disease. So leprosy would leave an individual with scale-like skin and open sores. It made something beautiful, something atrocious, and to be feared by others because they didn't understand. And leprosy sufferers would be deemed unclean and banished to areas where they could not affect those who were not affected. And a lot of times when someone was banned, they were banned outside the city gates. And many times they would end up having to congregate where much of the waste from the city would roll downhill too. It was literally shitholes. The people were relegated to stay in because that's where the human waste and refuse would drain to. The only people lepers would associate with were other lepers. So imagine a desperate, isolated, stigmatized group of individuals left alone to survive on their own without the support of a larger community. That's what Jesus encountered when he met this individual. So Jesus, Jesus was moving among the crowd that had been following him when this leper pushed his way to the front of the crowd. That audacity that Mandy talked about, it, it, it's remarkable. It's, it's front and center in this story. And he simply said to Jesus, if you are willing... You could make me clean. And what's interesting in other translations, uh, it almost paints Jesus as being offended that you would even ask. You know, it's like, of course I would. You know, like, why would you even ask? There's no doubt that I want to do this. So, what a risk this man took pushing in the front of the group when he was told by society that he belonged in the back of the room. So, Jesus, filled with compassion, he healed the man and sent him on his way with some important instructions. <laughs> was referring to. The instructions would allow full restoration to the community and would essentially give him his whole life back. But he just had to keep his mouth shut and tell only the priest. The excited former leper could not and would not follow Jesus' instructions and blabbed to everyone that he could, creating a frenzied state of excitement and hope for more healing. So many people crowded around Jesus that he could not even enter the town and instead remained in the isolated places outside of the city where the leper was just released from. So imagine this. This is the savior of mankind. This is the one and only child of God. And he's hanging out in the ghetto. He's hanging out among the rubble buildings, right? And the needles that are discarded on the ground. And the sex workers. And those who are deemed unclean by the rest of society. That's where he was spending time. So in this passage, we see Jesus giving us an example of what his real intentions were regarding his plan for redemption. And, for the heal- and the healing of the leper was just a foreshadowing of what was still to come. So if you look in verse 41, it's where we'll find and focus our attention. So trying to understand our call to be like Jesus, and to show compassion for those who are marginalized, stigmatized, and separated from community. So for those of you who do know me, this message won't come as a surprise. If there are any group of people today that most resemble the lepers or the outcasts and the marginalized in the time of Jesus, it's likely people who use drugs. It's likely people who are involved in sex work. It's likely that there are those who are homeless and unsheltered, who are undocumented, who are people of color, or who are queer, or living with a disease like HIV. Feared, misunderstood, ostracized, and pushed to the fringes of society, these individuals are looking for safe spaces. They can feel like they matter, like they belong, that they have purpose, and long to be taken seriously, and to just simply be uniquely themselves. So this, this lesson does not intend to make a comparison of marginalized populations of folks to a disease or an illness. But it is necessary. Um, but the lesson is that we'll focus on Jesus' ability to move towards the marginalized individuals. In order for us to do that, we must look at Jesus as a moves. Uh, the gospel across the bridges of relationships. So when people are cut off from meaningful, supportive relationships, they tend to default into survival mode. And if you don't know what survival mode is, uh, it is not anything like uh, a stable, secure uh, lifestyle. Uh, In many ways, you are relegated to the world beneath, right? Right? There's the world on the surface and the world beneath. And the rules are different. In the world beneath, the rules on how you relate to to others, such as trust, but don't trust too much, don't get attached, do whatever it takes to survive, you have to put yourself before all others if you're going to do that. This makes for a fluid moral code and creative defensive strategies that are usually driven by fight or flight. So if you go to the next slide here, I want to compare and contrast between utopia and dystopia. All right, so where's my dystopian geeks? Where are you at? All right, you read all the things, right? Okay, so you have a clear idea of what this is. Now, I I do want to say that I think utopia is a fallacy. I don't think that it's possible in the sense that we typically describe it. So, but let me me describe what it is. I think it's an ideal. I think it reflects kingdom quite a bit. Um, But when we talk about utopian society, It is one that is highly desirable, plentiful, and nearly perfect. And what we mean by that is that there is equity economically, politically, and with justice for all. While there are obviously challenges to the utopian model, and it's largely unrealistic due to the varied values, goals, and people groups, we'll use it in the scenario to contrast against the dystopian novel or dystopian uh, model. So, a dystopian model. Society is highly undesirable. Nobody's like, I want to grow up and live in a wasteland, right? Uh, it's frightening. Scarcity is the, the rule of the land. There's just not enough for everybody. Usually, it is under complete control by a powerful group or group of individuals. There's lots of propaganda and censoring, and all with the intent to, com- to force conformity. You can't be anything other than what we say is the norm. So let's uh, fast forward then. Go to the next slide here. Uh, Working in a COVID wasteland the last couple of years. Uh, In the early days of COVID-19 pandemic, my outreach team at Jolt worked the streets, and we were the only outreach team still providing support to many of these marginalized populations that we talked about. What we witnessed was literally a wasteland. If you were on the streets at the beginning of the pandemic, it's because you literally had no place else to go. You had no other resources available to you. The only thing missing were the tumbleweeds rolling across the streets. Those groups coincidentally also lacked resources such as technology. So think uh, access to 24 hour news cycles to find out what's going on, to get updates on mitigation, on ways to stay safe. They they lacked access to that. Uh, They also lacked access to transportation, food, housing, even simple things like hygiene and toilets were not accessible anymore. They were poor and hungry, and many of them had complex medical issues, including severe mental health and substance use issues. Yet across town, even though COVID still reached those with concentrated wealth, they had resources to navigate the pandemic with minimal disruption, if we're honest. now Not in every case, but largely, you know there were outliers who were negatively impacted, but as a, as a socioeconomic group, we fared much better than those who were less vulnerable, that were left to their own resources. So what we began to see, if you go to the next slide, is we, we began to see a tale of two cities, same county boundaries, two different experiences, two different realities. Those abandoned on the streets resorted to survival behavior just to get by. That meant they would often engage in theft, criminal trespass to get out of the cold, by breaking into an abandoned building or an abandoned house, acts of violence because of desperation, and a myriad of other criminalized behaviors. Was this because they were bad people? No, of course not. It was because they were desperately trying to survive. On the other side of town, where there is a greater accumulation of wealth, these folks began hoarding toilet paper, and bottled water, and batteries, and anything else they thought they would need to survive. And none of that was considered illegal. While it might have been unethical, considering the lack of uh, or the disparities that exist among people who could access those resources, it was not illegal. It was all purchased legally. And by doing those things, they increased their likelihood of survival and gained a sense of security that eluded our friends on the streets. If you go to the next slide here. Jesus is the great equalizer. So what did Jesus do by healing the leper? Ultimately, he restored him to community. Seeing the leper as worthy of connection and belonging, that's what facilitated his restoration. You don't invest in something that has no value. It's a waste of resources, pragmatically speaking. It took away, by Jesus healing this individual, it took away the barrier between the individual and the rest of society. Nothing nothing about the nature of the leper changed. His personality and character didn't necessarily change either. But because of the way Jesus saw and treated him, he came to believe he was also worthy of connection and belonging. And with the internal and external stigma being removed because of Jesus, he could help point others towards Jesus for the same kind of healing so much so that he couldn't keep his mouth shut. So what what does that look like when people lean into that truth, when they they lean into Jesus for that kind of healing, when they reclaim their sense of identity as being value, as a child of God and beloved and good? What does that look like when... What we see is the beloved community. Martin Luther King Jr. talks about the beloved community. I wanna tell you about the beloved community that we saw grow last year inside of an empty commercial building during the coldest stretch of winter. We saw people who lived on the streets, who had not a dime to their name, other than what was given generously by people when they were panhandling. They broke into an abandoned building. They, created, they, they engaged in a criminal act as defined by the law. I will not even say it was abandoned, it was just being unused. It was a dentist office, right, that had not been used for quite some time. It was falling into disrepair. One individual broke into it, found that there was still electricity in the building. So they shared that information with another person, another person from the street family, right? And that person migrated to that place. And then they told two other people. And then those four told four other people. And within a week's time, we had 20 to 25 people living in this building. And you know what they did? They cleaned the building. They developed a food pantry in which they pooled all their resources together and shared so that no one was in need. Sounds biblical, right? Sounds like Acts 2. They engaged in medical services by reaching out and, and getting the street medicine team from OSF to come and meet them where they're at. They would pool their resources together and take care of each other. from chaos, community was grown. Now, about a month after this happened, at 3.45 in the morning, on the coldest night of our winter so far this year, they were displaced by the police. On a holiday weekend, in which all other services were closed on Monday because it was Martin Luther King Jr. day, they were booted out at 3.45 a.m. in the morning with no place to go. They couldn't access all of their stuff that they had had, um, acquired to help them survive on the streets. And instead, they were just kicked out to the streets into the cold in sub-zero weather. And it destabilized that community. This community that had grown together, who decided that we're going to have to take care of ourselves if nobody else is, this beloved community that was sharing so that nobody was in need, was ripped apart pushed back out on the streets and destabilized. And it was in those moments there that they became even more desperate and engaged in, in higher risk behaviors and more criminalized behavior because they were desperate. The thing that they had, the bare minimum thing they had was taken from them. And I'm not denying that it was an illegal act to squat there. I'm not arguing that, okay? Not, uh, that, uh, that's just the way the law is written. But the way it was handled completely destabilized this population. Uh, we've lost people. And by lost, I mean some have died. We have lost people, meaning we have no idea where they're at, so they're disconnected from services now. They're disconnected from from care and support, which means their health issues, their mental health issues, their substance use issues, all the other issues are now exacerbated because they don't have time to focus on those things. Because I've got to worry about how I'm going to eat today or where I'm going to get, you know, my next my next meal. Now, during that entire time, uh, I want to tell you about another arm of that beloved community coming together. And that's you. It's all of you here. Whether you knew it or not, every time you would tithe, you would support uh, Imago's efforts to support these folks as well. Every time you would show up to volunteer to make snack packs, those were going directly into the hands of folks that were experiencing the most food scarcity. Right? Every time you tithe, you put money in the shuttle van that we use for outreach. It was a combined effort from Imago, from Lula, from Jolt, from the OSF street medicine team. He gave money and food and transportation, volunteers, prayer, pizza. The number of times, melinda I probably shouldn't say this. Anybody from financing committee here? The number of times, Melinda, I'm, I'm I'm out in Melinda again a number of times. Melinda bought pizza for folks. Do you know what a, like a, a sweet treat pizza is? Like we take it for granted because we eat it and get diabetes. But when you're living on the streets, having pizza is is like an excess, and you don't have excess when you're on the streets. So be able to have a pizza party one night just kind of feels normal. It, believe it or not, it's digni, it, dignity restoring. I'm just having pizza with my friends, and we're normal folks, right? the kindness and the hospitality. I got here this morning and my friend's clown and Heather and Doug were here and they slept in the vegetable last night because the Mago lets them, isn't scared of them, and doesn't see them as being less worthy or not deserving. And they're just so grateful. And they just, Heather cries all the time, but she was like, I just love this place so much. It may be the one thing that gives her hope that there is a God that cares about her. And that's reflected through all of you. It's freaking gospel, folks. You get that? Like, that is the gospel lived out. And it's beautiful. And it's amazing. And we are all imperfect people doing kind of a perfect thing. Now, the aftermath. So I just want to think about that, right? Um, as we move uh, towards communion, as I, I want to leave you with a few questions, and just a couple of minutes, just to talk amongst each other. Um, I would like to ask you a couple of questions. I want you just to turn to the people that are close to you, just for a couple of minutes, and just talk. Here's the one question I want you to ask: What was Jesus' example for reaching out to the marginalized, and how can I become more like that? That's it. What was Jesus' example? Not just in the one we talked about today, but through any of the scriptures, through all the parables, what was his example? What do you see in the example of Jesus? So seriously, just turn to each other for a couple of minutes, talk among that. What are the examples that you can think of of Jesus um, reaching out to the marginalized and loving them? Okay, Lily is 10. And what Lily said was, there are sometimes kids who get pulled out of class to go see the school counselor. And a lot of times other students make fun of them because they think they're just trying to get out of class. And Lily feels like it would be an act of Jesus to maybe stand up and defend them or to say, hey, you don't know what's really going on, so don't think you know all the things, right? And don't be mean to people, right? I mean, if that's just not a perfect summary, I don't know what is. So, um, you know what I love about that too is we tend to to think that children don't have any wisdom to share, um, but the Spirit still dwells in them as well. And reveals all things to us. And so often it's something as simple as what Lily said. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, again, I would encourage you to continue to have these conversations uh, over lunch, over the next couple of weeks, uh, at home, around the dinner table, or wherever it is that you're with people uh, in relationship with. I, I have another question for you as we kind of wrap up. What's the risk? What's the risk in going out to the fringes to love people who are marginalized like Jesus? There is a risk. So, could you, if you all couldn't hear what Mark said, I think this is a really key point is that uh, by doing those things, it's going to challenge you. It could be a challenge. And and, I think Mark is referring to that in a good sense, right? It pushes us outside of our comfort zones. It stretches our capacities for love, peace, patience, kindness, you know, understanding, like those kinds of things. Where if we're just isolated and insulated, we don't necessarily have that thing pushing us. Um, And and I I can tell you right now that um, more often than not, um, doing this kind of work, um, I, I'm, I'm transformed more by the folks that I serve and work you know, with than, than they ever are by anything I do. Um, the, the, the level of generosity that we see from people who have very little is incredible. And it, and it, and it will make you uncomfortable because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not that. <laughs> you know? uh, so I, I appreciate that Mark, thank you. There are risks, there's always risks, right? All right, so let's just kind of wrap this up here. So, so as the leper is cleansed, he's acceptable again to worship in the temple. But he must have his new state confirmed by the local priest before he's confirmed as, as, as such. So there's a lot riding on this. If he is confirmed as clean, then he can have back his life. He can work and live among the community again. His rights will be restored and he will be able to pursue a full spiritual life and a full life among the people in his community. That's the goal, right, is restoration. Restoration in our relationships with God, within ourselves, with each other, uh, with the world. Uh, And and that that is the work that God is doing every day. And we're all not just a part of that in other people's stories, um, but that's constantly happening and evolving inside of us as well. And if you think that you can just evolve on your own, I think that's a misleading statement. We need each other to do that. So I want to leave, I want to just have this kind of last thing, and then I want to lead us in a prayer, and then have uh, Mandy come up and lead us in communion, right, to you? Okay. Um, So as we talk about this, we kind of talk about the marginalized in in an othering sort of way, but it's not us and them. It's us and us. We are all children of God. We are all part of the the family of God. There is no other. And if we still have that mindset, then we have this mindset in which there is disparity. And disparity exists, but not in value, not in worth, not when it comes to belonging or connectedness. It is us and us. Not us versus them or us and the others. And so it's important to remember, too, that as, as people who are trying to walk in the way of Jesus, that it's not just us on mission for Jesus, trying to save all these poor, wretched souls, that it's in the process of learning how to love like Jesus that we are saved. Right? Okay. Um, go to the first the So uh, this is going to be a um, call and response kind of prayer. So I'm going to read the prayer, and then you'll respond with, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Have our prayer. Are we good? Can we go ahead and pray? Yeah? Okay. All right. Creator, we acknowledge that we are your beloved children, and this is a precious and significant gift from you. We also confess that we have not always treasured this gift with love and care, so we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Hear our prayer. God, may you bless us with anger. Frustration and impatience whenever any of your children are marginalized, exploited, or diminished. And with a prophetic voice, may we advocate for abandoned and exploited people. May we live missionally with those on the margins, reflecting to them the image of the invisible God. And may there be no limit to our love, and may we never lose sight of the imperative to fight hard for those who cannot fight for themselves. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Hear our prayer. And Holy Spirit, increase our desire to intentionally and purposely invest in each other's lives. Give us the courage to love, journey with, and to empower one another. May the contagious passion that provokes radical, genuine Jesus living penetrate our lives. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Hear our prayer. And Father God, we lament that we have lost so many that have once walked with us. We cry out to you to help us disciple, love, and accept others with the Father's heart. Maybe may we surround each other with friendship, so we'll consistently inspire, encourage, and challenge us to grow in our faith. And maybe may we be surrounded and supported by the family of God. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Hear our prayer. Mother God, may we value those who have dedicated and are dedicating and will dedicate their lives to gathering and loving your beloved children. Mercy. Christ, have mercy. Hear our prayer. I'm missing another one. (laughs) Um, So may you bless us with creativity, divine inspiration, humility in all that we do. May you bless us with kingdom ideas and free us from the trappings of the institutionalized expression of the church. Bless us with an increase of your unfailing love, patience, and grace as we work out all you want us to do and be. Lord,
0: have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Hear our prayer. Amen.